This morning, if you have your Bibles with you, and that's another thing, uh, if you weren't here for the meeting last Sunday that was very popularly voted in, was that we're going to be getting some new pew Bibles for the, or pew, we don't have pews, I guess we'll call them chair Bibles, uh, that will match the, the ESV translation that I read from each week, so I think that's a great thing, those should be here this week, so kind of excited about that. But we're going to be in Romans again, and this uh, is, we're coming to the end. Uh, I think next week will probably be our last week in the book of Romans, for those who care. And uh, this morning we're going to be reading Romans 15, verses 8 through 13, just taking a little, little chunk here of chapter 15. And uh, trying to pull out, to pull out uh, what it is that God would say to us today. Before we read, though, let's pray. Father, we thank you so much. Our hearts are full of thanksgiving today as we contemplate our salvation and the way that you have saved us. Father, today as we look into your word, we first thank you for it, that you have given us your scriptures, that you have preserved them through the thousands of years between when you gave them to today. We thank you, Lord, that you are careful to speak your word, not only in print, but also in our hearts. And so this morning we ask that you would speak, and we thank you that you are the word, that by you everything is made and is, and that there's nothing that wasn't made by you. So we, uh, we thank you this morning, and it's with grateful hearts that we read it, and it's great with grateful hearts that we open ourselves to receive that which you would say to us this morning. I do ask, Lord, that you would be in and amongst this place at this time, and I do pray, Lord, that you would smooth my wrinkles and uh, raise my low spots this morning and that you would be exalted and get glory in this time. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. All right. Going to be reading Romans 15, verses 8 through 13 today. Here it says, For I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs and in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. As it is written, therefore, I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. And again it is said, rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let all the peoples extol him. And again, Isaiah says, the root of Jesse will come, even he who arises to rule the Gentiles. In him will the Gentiles hope. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. Abound in hope. That's a good turn of a phrase, isn't it? And one that I personally yearn for. We've been talking a lot about hope in these last uh, couple of weeks, and in the last section we were... we. The, Paul taught us in the, in the last section that we read last week about how in the manner in which Christ came to give hope and to give, to give encouragement, but he did it not from the top down, but rather he made himself a servant and came up underneath others and how we're supposed to do the same thing. And, you know, I think that we all engage the idea of hope, those things that we hope for and... Uh, are striving in, in different ways. It's interesting that uh, 
we had a discussion at our Wednesday men's group, and I'm going to just keep plugging that. I would love to see every man here part of the 21st century men. I know, I understand, like, for some of you, you're out of town or on the road or whatever. I know it's difficult. I get it. I get life, but uh, it's such a good time, a good fertile ground for men to come together and talk about the things of God, but we were talking about a little bit, and this is maybe something that only stands out to me, but the idea of hope as an idea, the idea of hope, or knowing that we should have hope, and then that sort of contrasted with, well, how do we see hope? What are the nuts and bolts of it? And I even threw out the Sunday school answer thing on, on Wednesday, you know. How do we know? How, how, does, how does that hope find us in real life in a way that injects power, injects life, or joy, or awakening? How do we see it at work? And what stands in the way of it? Do things stand in the way between us and living in hope, in joy? Yeah, all sorts of stuff. All sorts of stuff. And in this passage that we read this week, there is a division of sorts that is alluded to or, or a line of division that is talked about, and that is only one line of division, and that is between the Jews and the Gentile believers. We're going to get to that in just a second, but I want to back up a minute because, again, like I was saying before, I, what I really always just sort of great at, what just, I never liked the idea of keeping the things of God, the ideas of God, and, you know, our sort of churchy language and our sort of churchy thinking over here and separating it from the way that we engage life. We must intermingle the two, make them one, right? We have to. So, let's talk for just a moment about one of the things that gets between us and hope or gets between us and God. What are some things that divide? Not bring together, but what are some things that divide? Lots of things can divide people, right? Sometimes it's really little silly things that divide us. In fact, you know, we joked about the Super game, you know. Remember, you remember a few years back when you couldn't say Super Bowl? And they were like suing everybody that said Super Bowl? I don't know. I'm just going to say it, I guess. If they want to come after us and whatever else, and maybe I should be more careful. I don't know. But even their opinion about, you know, whether you like the San Francisco 49ers or the Kansas City Swifts, it, <laughs> things like that. I couldn't help myself. I just. I, See, though, just like a, a little comment like that, like, gets people going. It's just all in fun. Some things divide us more deeply, though, you know. Uh, you know, I just, I was on my way in here this morning and listening, I just, for that seven minutes or whatever, I was listening to some guy on the radio, and my goodness, the the, the level of rhetoric that's being tossed around in our country on a daily basis, he was talking about politics and, and the different things. That these, some of these ideas can divide us very deeply, right? They can divide people very deeply because one person holds one opinion, the other holds an opposing opinion, and so instead of having you know, a discussion about how we see things differently or what different solutions we would implement to resolve them, pretty soon it becomes a us versus them more than this idea versus that idea. You know, should we go right or should we go left? No, nah, let's just kill the people that want to go right. 
you know, or kill the people that want to go left. We were watching last night. So, so some things really get their teeth into us. We were watching last night. Uh, I had to work late, but I came home and, and we watched an episode as a, as a family. We watched an episode of that revered old show, Little House on the Prairie. Yeah, some good life lessons to be held there for sure. But we watched an episode call, called The Voice of Tinker Jones. Anybody know that episode? Yeah, there you go. I knew there was going to be at least somebody. Knew there was going to be somebody. So in that, in that, uh, the traveling preacher, Reverend Alden, comes and he says, you know, I love coming here once a month for our monthly meetings. And he says, you know, I think I was talking to my higher-ups and I think this church really could use a church bell to call the worshipers to worship on Sunday. And... And they, he proposes that they maybe take up a special collection to, to raise the money to, make a, to buy a bell for the church. And then this, maybe the school could use it or whatever. And oh my goodness, that tiny congregation in the show of, you know, maybe 15 people, just utterly divided, divide. Because one, the rich family wants to buy the bell and put the plaque on it. And then the, the other ones that don't like the rich family, you know, they get upset. And pretty soon the kids aren't allowed to play together. And nobody's talking. What is it about people? We have this, this sort of thing to, to, that divides us. And, I mean, we could go down the list, right? That's a hypo, that was a silly TV show. But have you seen people get, it, get at each other's throats over small things like that? We haven't even touched things like race. We haven't even touched things like creed or geography. Status or destiny. All these things are kind of at play when you take a historical look at the, the peoples of earth and their interaction with God. So in this passage, we're talking about a prophecy, you know, the prophecy of the Christ and that it was given to God's people. God's people being the Hebrew people, the Jews, God gave this prophecy to them. And, you know, we, one could make an argument. It was given before there was Jews because in the Garden of Eden, right? It goes clear back to the beginning where God cursed the serpent and he made that prophetic uh, declaration of, about the Messiah and all that. I get that. But Christ came through prophecy that was given to the patriarchs was given, you know, to, to Father Abraham and Moses and all these people and the prophets. So, when we're talking about the recipients of this promise of Messiah, and those that are outside of that promise, or perceived to be outside of that promise, you know, the Gentile nations, the ones that they've been at war with for their entire existence. There is a division of race. There is a division of creed. There is a division of geography. There is a division of status. And there is a division of destiny. Right? All these things that, that threaten the identity of the recipients of that promise. And had for generations and generations and generations. What Paul talks about in this passage is that this prophecy was given and was fulfilled in such a way that brought all of that sort of together. A little word about prophecy. And we, man, it seems like the word of the day uh, sort of tends to leak into different aspects of the day, but 
I was talking with Nick this morning before we had our, our, our prayer time about this. And when God speaks, you might say, you might say that's prophecy anytime God speaks, whether he t- speaks to a person or whether he speaks through a person to his people. When prophecy is given, word from God, it's amazing to me that it, it seems, and I think most of you will agree with me in this, is that man's ears hearing that prophecy are almost always too small. We almost always, we have this, we have a knack. And I'm talking about humans, okay? Humans have a knack for misunderstanding God. Do we not? Well, even when God's, I mean, how, I just can't even fathom the idea of God speaking to people. But he does. He speaks in lots of different ways, and when he does, we always, I know it's just, it's, you're not supposed to use absolutes, but we always do it. We, we, we hear what we want to hear, oftentimes. We hear what we have a context to incorporate. We hear what we need to hear sometimes. We have a tendency to, to pick the things that God says like we would pick out our favorites from a buffet, you know. Uh, I don't know how many of you like the whole Asian buffet thing. I am a sucker for Chinese food. Even if it's not really probably even Chinese, it's just the American Chinese whatever. I just, I love it. But, you know, we treat God sometimes like we treat the buffet. We go to the spread, we get our plate, we're ready to receive. And, yeah, I want a little of that, and I want a little of that. I definitely don't want that, and I don't even know what that is, so I'm going to steer clear of that. And we, we treat Sometimes we treat God's word like that. We receive the things we want, the things that seem appealing to us, but we either ignore or totally leave out other parts of what he says. God's movements, his promises, even his will, his desires for his people are oftentimes so much bigger than what we're willing to think or believe. So we've got the Hebrew people, the sons of Abraham, the Jews, they received this promise from God that he would send a Messiah. And it's in glorious language, too. The prophets, you know, that God would speak through, the way that it's recorded in our, in our Bibles, it's, it's powerful whenever God, you know, it's like the, these promises of prophecy are sort of rumblings in the deep. They're powerful, in Numbers 24, he says, I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star will come out of Jacob. A scepter will rise out of Israel. A ruler will come out of Jacob. You know, it's mystical. It's powerful. It's promise that from his line will come this one. It says again in Psalms, Psalm 60, verse 7, Gilead is mine, Manasseh is mine, Ephraim is my helmet, Judah my scepter. Psalm 2, you are my son, today I have become your father. Ask of me and I will make nations your inheritance. The ends of the earth your possession. You will rule them with an iron scepter. You will dash them to pieces like pottery. You see how these prophecies would be received and clung to like air? Isaiah 42, here is my servant, whom I uphold, my chosen one, in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him, and he will bring justice to the nations. He will not falter 
or be discouraged till he establishes justice on earth. Now, if you are a Jew in the times when these prophecies were received and cherished, you would have a different perspective and hearing of them as we do here. You would. If you study the history of God's people, the sons of Abraham, however it is that you want to see it, for much of their time, uh, they are discouraged. For much of their time, they are oppressed. For much of their time, they are uh, mixed up and moving around and desperate, maybe to put a word on it. These words land different. If you're receiving that, that your people, this people that is small and oppressed and surrounded by enemies and constantly being hunted, from them will come a king like no other king. God promised salvation for his people through Jesus, through the Christ. And his promise is and was real. But the intent in that promise was greater than the Israelite ears could even hear. Yeah. Was greater than they could have even known to guess about. It says in verse 8 of our, our passage here today, Romans 15, it says, Christ became a servant to the circumcised, that is the Jews, to the Hebrew people. He became a servant to them to show God's truthfulness, to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs. Okay, that's first part. If we read on, it says, and in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. For the Jews, Christ came to fulfill an agreement, a covenant, a promise sealed in blood that God made with that people long ago in ages past and Christ came and he fulfilled that promise to show God's truthfulness for the Gentiles Christ came God came in Christ for not to fulfill his promise for mercy to show his mercy and how great is mercy. It's a recurring theme today. We're thankful for our salvation. We are not a, we're not a people before Christ. Jesus came as the great unifier. What division that we talked about? Whether it be race or creed or geography or status or destiny or any of those things that sort of we you know, wave around like banners to identify ourselves and distinguish ourselves from those guys, which bridge, which, which chasm of angry water would Christ's mercy not cross? The great unifier. And in surprising ways. Ha! I want to remind us. That's my prayer for today, is that we could understand that the concept, the power of his mercy for us. We have to know who we are first. We have to know who we are. So in Matthew 22, you, might, you will remember, 
Jesus tells a parable, a story about the kingdom of God in story form. You know, anybody, without looking, anybody know which one that is, Matthew 22? Uh, it's okay, I didn't know either, I had to look it up. It's the, the parable of the wedding banquet. You know this one? So, I don't want to get off track, I still got a little time. Let's go back to Matthew 22. Jesus is telling a story. He's talking about the kingdom. The, why are the parables so awesome? Jesus was smart, is smart. I, I hate it when I say was. He is, okay? Jesus is smart. He would teach people in stories because they couldn't... Uh, Tony and I were talking the other day. Man, I'm just going to parentheticize myself into an abyss here. But how, as soon as we start using churchy language... You know, people like patterns, so as soon as I start talking to you in spiritual terms, you're going to start hearing me with your spiritual ears. If I were to talk to you about earthly things, you know, about dirt, or about work, or about machining, or about uh, hardware, you're going to hear me with, with your physical, earthly, fleshly ears, right? And we have this division. Well, Jesus would tell stories about spiritual things, spiritual truths, spiritual realities, but he would use terms in this category. So people would listen. They wouldn't have a category to put his things in. They couldn't, they wouldn't immediately judge him. They would listen and be like, what is he talking about? He's talking about a wedding and a master and, and normal, regular stuff. Then they would hear these stories, they would walk away, and then after, you know, so many steps or so much time had passed, all of a sudden, a light bulb goes off. Oh my, he was talking about God. The story would leap to life. And he would sneak in through these stories. Really brilliant. But in the parable of the wedding feast, Jesus is teaching about a wedding. I'll just read it. It's okay. Uh, Jesus spoke to them in parables, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son and sent his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding feast, but they would not come. Kind of rude. Again, he sent other servants, saying, Tell those who are invited, See, I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and my fat calves have been slaughtered, and everything is ready. Come to the wedding feast. But they paid no attention and went off, one to his farm, another to his business, while the rest seized his servants, treated them shamefully, and killed them. The king was angry. And he sent his troops destroyed those murderers and burned their city. Then he said to his servants, the wedding feast is ready, but those invited were not worthy. Go therefore to the main roads and invite the wedding feast, invite to the wedding feast as many as you can find. And those servants went out into the roads and gathered all whom they found, both bad and good. So the wedding hall was filled with guests. When the king came to look at the guests, he saw that a man who had no wedding garment, and he said to him, Friend, how did you get in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. The king said to the attendants, Bind him hand and foot, cast him into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth, for many are called, but few are chosen. So, who are we? Well, there's people out in the street. I mean, we could... Think of it in other terms, too, but the way I hear this, at least the way the Lord finds me this morning, is I was just a guy out in the street, and, so, and I was called. Like Shannon was saying, 
her friend, you know, that told her about Jesus. Hey, come to this feast. Didn't deserve to be there. Weren't on the original invite list. He calls us all in to show his mercy. Mercy. Something that we need to be very, uh, we need to have a close understanding of what is mercy. I love the, the Webster's 1828 dictionary because it was before like untrustworthy people got a hold of the language, you might say. So I look at it a lot. If you look at uh, Webster's 1828 dictionary, you look up the word mercy, it says this. And hang with me, he uses old words, but I think you will be fine. He says, mercy is that benevolence, mildness, or tenderness of heart which disposes a person to overlook injuries or to treat an offender better than he deserves. The disposition that tempers justice and induces an injured person to forgive trespasses and injuries and to forbear punishment or inflict less than law or justice will warrant. In this sense, there is perhaps no word in our language precisely synonymous with mercy that which comes nearest to it is grace. It implies benevolence, tenderness, mildness, pity or compassion, and clemency, but exercised only towards offenders. Did you get that? It's important. mildness or tenderness of heart which causes a person or in our case God to overlook offenses to treat an offender better than he deserves but mercy can only be given to who? offenders Mercy can only be given to offenders. It can't just be given to, you know, a non-offender. In order to receive mercy, what do you have to acknowledge? Your offense. In order to stay at the wedding feast, you have to acknowledge that it's a wedding feast and put on those wedding clothes, yeah? You cannot earn mercy. Quite the opposite. To get it, you have to deserve justice. <laughs> wow. And the first step in living in the power of mercy is to acknowledge that you deserve justice and then relinquishing our claims, those things that divide us. We have to give those up in order to be made one in Christ. Back to Romans. Today we're going to, it's that time when we, that Sunday in which we will celebrate communion. And I don't know, for, for lots of years, I'll admit, that passages like what we read today in Romans where Paul makes these uh, uh, little references to, to old scriptures and 
old poems or old prophecies, sometimes they're lost on my reading. I'll admit it. You know, you get, you go, you're going through and you see, and then he quotes some random thing. You know, okay, okay, thanks for that, Paul. What's the next passage say? Today, what is set before us, I think, is just simply this. The reality that we do not deserve to be in Christ. We were not part of that original recipients of the promise. God didn't owe it to us by his word to send us a Messiah. Rather, we were given one to show his mercy. In order to receive his mercy, we have to acknowledge our offense. If we want to, as verse 13 at the end, he says, he gives this blessing, may the God of hope fill you with joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. Who doesn't want that? That's where we want to live, abounding in joy and hope, seeing its evidence. The way to that is the way to that hope the way to that joy, the way to the fullness of his spirit is to acknowledge our offense. That we do not deserve to be here. We do not deserve to be in God's family. But he's given it as grace, as mercy. That's our starting place today. When we receive communion... We acknowledge Christ, what he's done for us, his death in our place. For the times when I've messed up intentionally, it may blow your minds, but I do wrong things from time to time. Glad you don't. And not just the things that we know, or not just the things that we don't know we do wrong, because there's some of those too, you know? just going through life trying to do our best and oh wow we really messed up we really hurt that person we really just didn't even acknowledge God but also the things that we do on purpose he paid for them all that's what we celebrate today so I'm gonna have the elders come on up but I would encourage us all to think about this truth of grace this truth of mercy that we are offenders to receive mercy as we partake and, and examine our hearts before we celebrate this today. When we do, we find that Christ fills in that empty space and we do receive hope. Lord Jesus, we thank you for what you do. We thank you for your truthfulness and the fulfillment of your promise to the Hebrew people by which we also receive your mercy. Lord, I ask today that you would work in us, that you would send your spirit to work in us, Lord, to make us pure, to make us perfect in you. Lord, show us those areas that we flout your goodness. 
Show us those areas in our life that we hang on to that are counterproductive to what it is that you would do in our lives. Show us those things, Lord, that we do or that we hold on to or we commit that short-circuit hope, short-circuit joy, short-circuit power and glory. We want to come to you, Lord, uh, wholly, fully. And so, Lord, I ask that by your spirit, you would enable that this morning as we celebrate the bread and the cup, that you would speak to us, that we might come honestly, that we may come in a way that pleases you and in a way that opens our understanding, opens up our lives to really live out your glory. We ask in Jesus' name.